0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, Jaw John rafts of course. We've got Jays, we've got him for days. Josh, how are you doing?
1: I'm gonna need our friend Victor Wabanyama to stop saving his heroics for the fourth quarter. I watched almost the entire first half of that game because I wanted to see him. Mm. And he did. I didn't. I don't think I saw him score a field goal. He made a couple free throws. Now he blocked Grayson Allen from five feet away. That was interesting <laughs> to see. But and then I woke up. And, I mean, they looked terrible. I thought this is not an interesting game. And it was the Suns without Devin Booker and Bradley Beale. And I woke up and the Spurs won. It's the second time he's done this. It's got to stop. It's not fair to us people on the East Coast time zone.
0: It's funny because the the video that is circulating of Victor Wembanyama on this particular day is not something spectacular that he did. It's it's him guarding Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant scoring on him late in that game. I didn't watch any of that game, so I I um I'm not sure I share your sentiment. I'm not nearly as frustrated as you are, but just, it would be nice if he would if he would yeah. uh, keep you in mind when you're trying to catch. Uh, the first quarter and a half
1: on the East Coast. Yeah, because I'm not trying to stay up to watch the second half of that game. I just wanted to see him a little bit and going Mm -hmm. seeing him go at Durant was really cool. He got the better of Durant the first go around and then Durant immediately came back and hit a step back on him. And it was a fun matchup and he's fun to watch, but I wasn't about to watch the second half of that game based on the first half, especially when I (laughs) wanted to go to bed anyway. He's got it at some point. He needs to deliver in the first quarter for all the people on the Eastern and Central time zones. That's all I'm saying. It's for his own good, his own popularity.
0: (laughs) You're right. He's struggling for popularity, and he needs more people on the East Coast to to be a fan of his. Correct. Correct. Um, Thank you so much for joining us on this Wednesday afternoon when we are recording this. Josh, we are five days away from the beginning of the college basketball season. It is November 1st. season starts on Monday, November 6th. We have gone through all... Six power conferences in great detail. Now it's time to turn our attention to the the country as a whole a little bit. Try to to cover a few things there, and that's what we're going to do this week. Starting with this podcast this week, we're doing five bold predictions. Two podcasts we did right before the season last year. We did five bold predictions, and then uh, your national preseason awards, uh, final four, national championship, uh, national championship. Those obligatory predictions before we get into the college basketball season so it is a week of national predicting thinking contemplating and uh before we get into the regular season today we are five bold predictions josh are you coming uh, as like are, are we talking like ghost pepper wings bold are we talking like mild sauce bold are you parmesan garlic like we're really just for all of the you know we're, we're not tickling any feathers like where where are we on the hot scale on the bold scale going into this podcast
1: i've got a couple that are not as out there and a couple that are fairly bold mm. so it depends on the specific one
0: fair i like that i have a, it's, I, have it's a, a I got a combo sure sure um i feel like I, I preface this with the following every time we do this but like there are a couple on here that I would go to bat for. There's a couple on here that I am not totally sure I believe. I like to play with. I, I take some liberties with that line because I that makes bold predictions more fun. Is ones that you're that you could see happening. You wouldn't bet on it. It's very different than than trying to pick when we are previewing conferences trying to pick a a conference regular season champion that it's, it's no fun. If I only came up with with predictions that I completely believe in.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay. Anything else we need to unpack before we get into these bold predictions?
1: I don't think so. I'm ready.
0: All right. Number one, hit me.
1: I did this last year. It worked. I'm going to do it again. (laughs) At least half of the teams picked to win high major conferences in the preseason will not do so. Mm. Do you,
0: do you, you have the list how- in
1: front of you? Yes. Okay. Well, we'll talk through the teams. First, would you like to guess how many of last year's preseason picks of the high majors won?
0: We did this last year too. Um, well, on the ACC, it would have been North Carolina. So that Correct. one didn't hit. Um, there's no way it was Marquette last year. So that's two. The Big Ten. I don't think was Purdue. Nope. Maybe it was. It nope. wasn't. Okay. It was, so that's, it was Indiana. Oh, that's so good. I'm uh, so sure. that's three. Um, I think Kansas was picked to win the Big Twelve. Did they? Come, did they? Did they do that? Did that happen last year?
1: I don't believe Kansas was picked. Really? Last year? Mm-hmm who was picked. Now I want to double check that. I believe it was Baylor.
0: We're talking like preseason polls, not not yes. on this here podcast. Yes. Okay, interesting. So I so the answer is either is either like 2, is either like 1 or 2. I'll guess 1.
1: That's the number I have. And now I want to double check about Kansas.
0: You're you're probably right. I just default to if I'm not totally sure, I just assume it was Kansas.
1: Baylor in Big Twelve men's basketball preseason favorite. Wow. 2022.
0: How about that? So it was was pretty sure I
1: checked them all.
0: So who? So was it UCLA? Did UCLA? that was going
1: to be my question. Who was it? Mm -hmm. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So do you have you circled which teams you think won't, or is it more of a is this a is this a percentage play? Is this just smart? This is smart gambling here in general, but is, yeah. but do you have, do you have some teams circled that you're skeptical about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk th- now that we've done the trivia time, let's talk through these here. Okay. Pac-12, you've got Arizona.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now Arizona could very well win the Pac-12. I also wouldn't be stunned if the team with Caleb Love doesn't win its conference. Yep. So therefore that's an automatic question mark for me mm-hmm. then. And I just have these in, Oh, I have them in alphabetical order. So next, you've got Duke in the ACC. I do think Duke is going to win the ACC. That one, I don't feel... Co- you could see a world in which the freshmen aren't quite ready. and right. They didn't win it last year, and they're returning most of the same team. Now, I think you agree with me. That's not the one I'm looking at, but they're there.
0: Kansas... And, 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 and Duke being the most talented team in the ACC does not always mean
1: that they win the ACC. Exactly, right. It wouldn't be... Stunning to see them not win. Mm-hmm. Kansas is now anchored by a player that has not had an awful lot of success the next couple of seasons, last couple of seasons at Michigan. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think Kansas wins the Big 12? Yes, that's the one. Actually, and that's probably the one I'm most confident in. Then Marquette in the Big East. It's not that I doubt Marquette, it's that I just think any of those three teams could win. And mm-hmm. you're basically doing a pick 'em, so give them a 40% chance because they did it last year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And maybe you even decrease that because you're now taking Olivier Maxine's prosper off of that team. So, and the idea of trying to do it back to back, I, I don't feel great about Marquette's chances. Purdue, I feel very good. Now Michigan state could end up being the best team in the conference, but again, Purdue's not the one I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. And then the next, last one is Tennessee. I will never feel incredibly confident about Tennessee's ability to win the sec in a year where the sec has a lot of good teams in it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? It may be not, it might not be that one team where you're looking at Kentucky going, Oh my goodness, they're head and shoulders above everybody. Cause that's just not where they are or an Alabama that's absolutely loaded, but between Kentucky, what Texas A&M is bringing back, I, that one, I don't feel great about either. So I would kind of break into two tiers. If I had to pick three Arizona Marquette, Tennessee, but, I think there's a world in which at least one of Duke Kansas and Purdue don't win as well.
0: i was uh, I was watching back some of Tennessee's win at Michigan State and exhibitions. First of all, I can't tell you how down I am for for uh, charity games that are exhibitions between top fifteen programs. We had three of them this weekend, right? Three. Purdue went to Arkansas. I mean, oh. Illinois is not a top fifteen team. Yeah, but that was but Illinois, Kansas Illinois. Kansas was a really good game too. And then you had a one point game in uh, in East Lansing. So I'm all the way here for that. Um, I was watching that game back in, and, and they definitely have more pop than they did last year. I I still have the same concerns about yeah. creativity. I was I was looking. I've been trying to put my finger on a stat that maybe. That that I can look towards for teams like Tennessee, where I talk about offensive creativity, and I think it's fallen on assist to field goals made ratio without like a truly like elite playmaker or a really dominant big. Because teams like Marquette were like they were like eighth in the country in assist to field goal made ratio, but they have Tyler Cole. Right. And UConn was like second. Maybe you say, maybe it wasn't, they were top 10, but they have a guy like Adama Sonogo. Right. And Donovan Klingon. So you're just going to pass it. And, and, and Tennessee doesn't really have either of those guys mm-hmm. like Dalton neck connect, excuse me, is, is really, is really good. I was impressed by him, but I still think if the, if the three pointers aren't going down, and they won't be, like, sub-230 like they were last year in that category. But I still think that they'll have days where they have the exact same issue. Anyways, I think, you know, the other part of it is that just that there are four, if not five, teams in that conference that I think could possibly win it.
1: Yep, right. I'm yeah. going to stick I, on
0: – sorry, and go I ahead. think
1: it was easy even last year to, okay, maybe you weren't feeling great about the Big Ten because neither of us thought Indiana was going to win. Mm-hmm. The other, it's not like there were all of these very big question marks last season, and it still turned out that only one of the six won. You know, there just is some of that that always happens.
0: I'm going to stick on the conference thing. I've got a couple conference things, a couple player things, and a coach thing. But uh, we're on the conference, so I'm going to start here. I'm going to start in the ACC, and this is interesting because this was a conference that you said – you weren't that worried about Duke. My first ball prediction is that North Carolina wins the ACC. Mm. I'm, I'm madly hopelessly helplessly in love with Elliot Cadeau
1: as we all should be.
0: I'm, I'm in love with his game. I I made a mistake of going through a game in which they're playing St. Augustine's and now I'm convinced he's the best freshman ever. Um, Not really, but, (laughs) The point being is that I think the experience with North Carolina is going to be so different this year, ironically with the guard who's also wearing the number two. But on top of that, I think there's a bit of an overcorrection with North Carolina this year. In the same way that there was an overreaction to what they did in the tournament two years ago. Sure. And we've talked about that a million times. I think there's a little bit of an overcorrection. Like, I think it's ridiculous that Miami is ahead of UNC in most preseason team rankings. I think they were ahead of them in ACC preseason polls. Duke got most, like North Carolina, I think it was like 13 first place post for Duke, two or three for Miami, and one for North Carolina. But, but Miami was comfortably in second behind Duke in the preseason poll. I'm not totally sure. Like if, if North Carolina is just fine last year, then nobody is, I don't think anybody is saying, okay, you lost Jordan Miller, you lost Isaiah Wong, and you're still going to be better than this North Carolina team that has two first-team All-America caliber players, two. Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis are both absolutely capable of being first-team All-Americans, not first-team All-ACC, first-team All-Americans, at least in my opinion. And I, I just think that's a little bit of of an overreaction maybe i am wrong maybe i am just too in love with elliot cadot and both of those things could be true both of those things might i might even go both of those things are probably true but i i think that the conversation with duke and unc would be a little bit closer if we could forget the context yep. of last year, because on paper that team is going to score a lot of points. They have a very high floor offensively just because of Armando Baycott and DJ Davis. And if guys like Cormac Ryan, guys like Paxson Pax and Owojikic are making shots, then, then Harrison Ingram is jumps off the page just on the floor in general. I think without context of last year that there would have been uh that they would have been thought of more highly. And as, as we pointed out, Duke being the best team in the ACC does not mean that Duke wins the ACC, mm-hmm. even if it's maintained throughout the year that Duke is the best team in the ACC. Those things usually, they usually don't add up together. Mm-hmm. They, they don't happen at the same time.
1: And that's one of the interesting interesting things about Duke this season is, can John Tyre change that narrative? Mm-hmm. And number two, this is not a bunch of freshmen that need to figure it out because that's always part of it, right? Is even the, the Zion team. We both said, well, clearly they're more talented than everybody, but are they going to show up every single night and be ready to go from day one? This is a bunch of guys who have been there before with the addition of some super talented freshmen. So if this team can't do it, it's right. You can't say it's because they recruited a bunch of freshmen. Mm-hmm. Shire doesn't have that excuse because this team is going to lean on a bunch of guys who have played college basketball before. Mm -hmm. And on the North Carolina side, wholeheartedly agree with you. I, to me, the question is, can they get to Duke's level? That's what we're talking about is that their team too. Can they elevate? And it's certainly possible. They can. My hesitation is. Well, I agree that there's been a overcorrection because there was a complete overreaction in the first place. We still haven't seen Hubert Davis put together a good team Mm -hmm. and a consistent good season. Mm -hmm. Right. That's my other, if this was Roy Williams, I would feel a little bit differently. Not that they can't do it. And I would not be surprised at all if they're right there with Duke, but I also need to actually see this work before I jump all the way in, but I am with you that this team makes a lot more sense on paper. And if, if Hubert Davis is going to get this going and going to ease the concerns about whether he can actually do this in North Carolina, this is going to be the team that we're going to go. Oh, there were just some chemistry issues, some fit issues. Now he's got a team the way he wants it. And they're just fine. Yeah. Back to being North Carolina.
0: That's number one for me. What's number two for you?
1: Sort of similar. Kansas is not a number one seed.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: This is one of my hotter takes that I'm not 100% convinced by. But here's why I say that. They do play Kentucky, UConn, Indiana, Missouri, and in the Maui Invitational during Mm non-conference. So they could easily take three or four losses there. Not that they're going to necessarily but they're probably not going you know one loss through that if this is going to become anything close to an accurate prediction and then the second part of this let's just say they lose to UConn and they lose a game in Maui and then they go win the Big 12 does winning the Big 12 guarantee you a one seed this season Right. Because in the past, if you win that conference because of the gauntlet that it was, you're unless you did something horrible in non-conference, you're probably getting a one seed. And that's the cushion Kansas always has to fall back on is, yeah, they probably have seven losses, but they're you know six of them are the top 20 Ken Palm teams. One of them is at home. One of them is on a neutral floor. Five of them are on the road mm-hmm. and they just have the most impressive body of work because they, don't, they always schedule well, and they don't typically lose to bad teams because they don't play that many. Now you're replacing some of those games with UCF and BYU, and you're not getting as many opportunities to play whichever team you want to throw in there. And that's mm-hmm. part of it, too, is who is that? other? We don't have a bunch of guaranteed top 25 teams from the Big 12 outside of Kansas.
0: Oh, I think so, there's at least one more.
1: Oh, I definitely agree. There's probably two or three. But it's not like we're walking into this going, oh, there are two to three top ten teams coming from the Big Twelve, right?
0: I think there are two, but the, but I think Houston is a guarantee. I think Houston is a top ten team. Yeah, but okay, after that, I'm not. I, I would fair. be willing to have the conversation.
1: Yeah, that so there's probably that's probably the second team, sure. But it's just not. If you add teams, it's not as strong, even with the ten teams that were there. I could just see a world in which Kansas stumbles a little bit, and this doesn't go perfectly with this kind of reorganized roster. Mm-hmm. And they just can't compensate for it by playing Big 12 game after Big 12 game because some of those are now against lesser opponents, and you don't get to play Houston twice, Baylor twice, Texas twice. You know. I think my
0: main argument would be who is getting the three number one seeds over like if kansas wins the big 12 who's putting together which which other conference winners are mm-hmm. putting together a good enough resume to 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 take them over i'm and maybe the answer is it's a it's a team that is a mid-major team that's going to win a ridiculous number of games but i would because i don't think the winner of the PAC 12, unless they win 20 games, 19 games, and Kansas wins it going 14 and six or something that, that the PAC 12 gets the nod over them. I think the same is said with the ACC. So
1: I'm operating in a world where Duke is a one seed or North Carolina, that there is a team that is consistent enough from the ACC. There's one from the big 10. There's one from the big East. And then, Either, yeah, it's a mid-major, it's a second Big East team, it's Michigan State, if you get a really good battle between them and Purdue all season, and
0: mm.
1: one of them wins the regular season, one of them wins the conference tournament. That's kind of where I was. And then also maybe somebody from the SEC has a way better season than expected and ends up in that, right? Nobody mm. was planning for Alabama last season, and Alabama was quote cool one seed. Right.
0: right.
1: So that's – I'm with you that I don't have a – specific here are the four teams i think that get in ahead there are some different ways i could see this playing out that keep can just off the one line though
0: okay okay that that one is that one is one i have a tough time getting all the way to
1: me too this is that's my definitely my boldest
0: here is one in a similar conversation um Number two on my bold predictions list is Florida Atlantic won't be the best mid-major outside of Gonzaga this year.
1: Okay,
0: um, I think that there. Are, I think there are two teams. Mainly the one. Mainly one. This is about how good I think St. Mary's is going to be this year. Um, St. Mary's has one of the, I mean, if you want to take Gonzaga out of the conversation, Randy Bennett is second to basically none when it comes to coaches at the mid major level, especially when you take guys like Kelvin Sampson Sampson. out of of the the exact same thing out of the conversation. And we're, we're just kind of past the point of Randy Bennett has success based on getting like lucky with a certain set of players. Um, I think Aiden Mahaney is going to be awesome this year. And I, I think that, I, I think, I think they have a, like at first I was like, really, are they really going to beat Gonzaga and win the West Coast Conference? Are they really going to do that? Well, they they tied last year. And, and clearly I think people are probably a little lower on Gonzaga than they should be, but the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of into it. And this is also, like, despite even with Florida Atlantic going all the way to the Final Four, St. Mary's was still the better Ken Palm team last year. And there are some some holes to fill in, in, in that roster. One, you know, main one being Logan Johnson not being there anymore. But I think, I'll put it this way. I think that the best mid-major, true mid-major, Which is weird to talk about when we're talking about a team in the same conference as Gonzaga. But when having, I I think that FAU will have a counterpart in that conversation that is way closer than I think people are giving St. Mary's credit for uh, on November 1st.
1: I'll buy that. I don't think the gap between those teams is very big at all. I agree with that general sentiment. Yeah. And, you know, Florida Atlantics playing a pretty difficult non conference schedule. I also think there's a world in which, even if I still feel like, Fort Atlantic's the better team that they won't have the more impressive resume come tournament time. Sure. Because yeah, if St. Mary's wins the WCC and doesn't share it. Unless something really special happens in the AAC and the non-conference goes fantastic for Fort Atlantic, you're probably going to have a hard time topping that. Right. And I was also going to, I'm glad you brought it up agree with your your Randy Bennett idea that it's not like this is just because he happened upon a group of really good players, but also he's got a really, really good player. It's not like yeah. this team is lacking talent either.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. He is on my short list of uh like what he did against Gonzaga in in conference play last year, kind of late in that game when they played at St. Mary's was I was watching it again this this afternoon and it was it was really really something special so i'm i'm really excited about that battle in general and how big of a deal those two those games that saint mary's and gonzaga play are going to be and i think we'll i think we'll have those two teams in conversation those two teams being saint mary's and and fau for a lot of the season i agree with that number three
1: number three well this involves saint mary's so here we go at least three of the last five teams in the AP preseason poll finished top 15.
0: say that one more time
1: at least three of the last five teams in the AP preseason poll are top 15 heading into the NJ tournament okay those teams are USC Villanova St Mary's Alabama and Illinois
0: sure that's a that's a that's a list right there
1: yeah and North Carolina is right ahead of them mm-hmm. which I also would expect North Carolina to be a top 15 team USC are, I really like this talent. Do I feel incredibly confident they're top 15? No, but I think they're at least top 20. Villanova would not be shocked at all. We talked about this on the Big East preview. If they are the fourth best team in the Big East and the 15th, 14th best team in the country. St. Mary's, like you just said, if they win or even if they share it, they're probably top 15. Alabama don't have the firepower from last season necessarily, but I'm not betting against Nate Oates. And Illinois just beat Kansas. Now, I don't like putting much stock at all in exhibition games, but they did just beat the number one team in the country, and Terrence Shannon was really, really good. I could see three of those things working out very easily.
0: I I, I didn't realize. I hadn't put those five teams in conversation with each other you know, listing them out, but those are all, all five of those teams are teams that I, that for one reason or another, I think that they would be ranked higher. If the context of last season was different, maybe not all five of them, okay. but at least at least like Villanova, I think has a we're going to get to Villanova, but I think Villanova has a top 10 roster in the sport. And we'll call it the jay Wright effect is is why they're they're as low as as low as they are but i you said three of the five yeah i'd buy that for a dollar
1: and right ahead of them baylor north carolina texas followed by san diego state and kentucky those are 16 through 25
0: that's a list right there yeah number three on my list Bold prediction number 3 uh is LJ Cryer is going to win Big 12 player of the year. <laughs> I'm I'm riding this all the way to the promised land. I think I we've talked about we've talked about Hunter Dickinson plenty. I don't think like I think Hunter Dickinson is going to be very hard ultimately to keep off of a first team all-america list at the end of the day but that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about bold predictions. And I think that LJ Cryer is probably, he he's at the top of the list of big 12 experience, right? Comes from Baylor to Houston, big 12 experience combined with being put in a position to be significantly better from a statistics perspective than he was last year. We've yep. talked about this a million times. So I, I I don't need to rehash it in a in a massive way, but LJ Crier has been at least you know one B or one C in terms of if not two or three on the options for Baylor the last couple seasons. Last year he he averaged 15 points a game and that was with Adam Flagler and with Keontae George. It's I mean it's Jamal Shed it's LJ Crier in the backcourt and you and I both know that. And nobody is arguing that LJ Cryer will have to Jamal Shedd does other things. And LJ mm. Cryer just should just go and score. Yep. So I think Houston has a very real chance to win the Big 12 regular season. And if they do that, I think it's gonna be hard to to um it. LJ Cry is going to be awesome if that happens. Mm-hmm. And if he's awesome and he's on the team that wins the Big 12 regular season, I think there's a very real chance that despite what's going on at Kansas, despite Hunter Dickinson coming in, that there's that he is on the very short list of which I guess makes it not that bold of a prediction if he's on the very short list. But I still think that he as an individual player this year is flying under the radar.
1: I'll take that straight up.
0: I like that. Look at the I- look at the confidence.
1: If they're close, I don't even think they have to win. If they are close within a game or two of Kansas,
0: mm.
1: to me, there's absolutely a world in which he is just clearly the most important player in the conference. Because I buy Kansas, that. Kansas has, you know, another big who's been really, really good in KJ Adams. And Kansas has other players who score. Mm. Houston will always need somebody to score. The one mm. guy who scored is gone. And yes, Jamal and and, said, and
0: and also, the one guy who scored, who's gone, was also a first team All American.
1: Yes, exactly. And Jamal Shedd can score. I love Jamal Shedd. The best version of Jamal Shedd is not averaging 16 points a game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The best version of LJ Cryer is averaging 20. 18,
0: 19, 20.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 22, maybe even. Yeah. I, if you ask me, yeah, who my prediction is, I would go with Cryer. Absolutely.
0: Love it. I don't even have to convert. This is great. This is fantastic. I'm I'm riding on cloud nine. Okay, I'm I'm I've got three three in the bag. You've got three in the bag as well, right? Yep. All right. What's number four?
1: Here's my other one that I feel very confident in. Colorado's got. I've been banging this drum. We're going to do it again. Colorado's finishing top three in the Pac-12. Sure. I, I couldn't go any higher than that. But why why are they behind Oregon? Can you explain that to me, please? Um. They're
0: behind Oregon because Dana Altman's the head coach of Oregon. They are behind Oregon because you're putting me on the spot here. They're behind Oregon Oregon because Oregon's starting four seniors and a junior and two seven-footers. Most of them uh, were on
1: a team that didn't play very well last season.
0: Sure, I'm just coming up with I mean Colorado isn't that sexy of a yeah. name. This is,
1: this is my point.
0: Um I mean this is a Colorado team that was 8 and 12 Sorry, yeah, 8 and 12 in the Pac-12 last year. All of these things uh probably add up or it was and and Oregon was twelve and eight. So in a year where no one talked about Oregon for a single second, there were four games better in the Pac-12. That's probably why. That's
1: that's something. Yeah. Okay. That that I'll buy. The rest of it, and I understand if you want to pick them fourth. I can't sit here and say I firmly believe they're better than USC, UCLA, and Arizona. Mm-hmm. But they at least got to be fourth in the preseason poll. I mean, you get your two leading scorers back. You bring Mm -hmm. back some role players. You have a top five recruit in the country, and Eddie Lampkin comes in from TCU. And maybe I'm just too high on Eddie Lampkin because I really, really like Eddie Lampkin.
0: That would probably be the other thing I would point to, is that you you seem especially high on the guy that averaged six points and six rebounds.
1: It's a very specific skill set, but his skill set when he gets going is Mm -hmm. something to watch. Sure. His ability to just physically impose himself on games. And so I, I just look at this continuity in Tad Boyle, and I just go they're, they're at least top four. Mm-hmm. So I'll make it a little bit bolder, raise the stakes, and say top three. But I firmly believe oh, either USC is not going to get it together, UCLA will struggle with all of the new pieces, Arizona won't be what they're supposed to be. They'll catch somebody and finish third.
0: Yeah, I could I could poke a hole in all three of those teams. Yeah. And you could poke seven holes in the Oregon thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not insulted that they would have been fourth. I am insulted they were fifth behind Oregon at the preseason <laughs> point.
0: The okay. other three I'm fine with. All right. All right. That's great. That's great. I have I, I'm in I'm in your ballpark here with number four. Um the the top three in the big east at the end of the season uh will not be Marquette, Creighton, and Yukon in some order. This is a, this is a, this is my Villanova bet. Mm -hmm. This is my, this is my, this is my, if Jay Wright was the coach of this Villanova roster, they'd be a top five team in the country. Maybe top eight.
1: Yeah. And see, that's where I, I generally agree with you. And at the same time, which of those three, are you knocking the guy that just won the conference and the conference tournament? The guy that just won the national championship or Greg McDermott?
0: (laughs) Well, you and I both know that I'm not knocking Greg McDermott. Yeah. Because I picked Creighton to win. I, uh, UConn probably. I'm not as high on UConn as everybody else is. Um, I get it. I also am just, I mean, you, you got, I mean, like final four, most outstanding player, one of the best shooters in the country and the glue guy that turns your team yep. into a struggling Big East team in the middle of the season into a really effective glue best defender type. I mean, like, like, and and I haven't thought about it long enough to give you a to give you a comp on a different team, but it just feels like a lot that that UConn lost. Oh, completely agree, and. And it might be, like I don't think you, I don't think Nova's gonna win 17 Big East games, but if getting into third means finishing 14, it's I mean like UConn won the national championship last year and wasn't even in the conversation for for mm-hmm. the top of the Big East, not even in the conversation. Yep. So, and I've told, yeah, I've, I've I've offered up my feelings on. OMAX Prosper being overlooked and how difficult it is to repeat in the conference. And I think that, you know, it's a deep conference that's not going to, that's not going to see a team really run away and win 18 conference games. So 13 and seven, 14 and six, getting you at least, you know, a share of third, getting you solo third. I think it's, I think it's a possibility. And I just think that, you know, it's a, it's a team that's, had bad injuries and up uh, like with all due respect to Chris Archidiacano, Chris Archidiacano is not a high major conference starting point guard. And that's what he was for most of the last season. Um, there was some weird stuff after Cam Whitmore left with, um with Kyle Neptune, you know, saying weird things about, about Cam Whitmore. So I'm not totally sure that that was a great marriage. <clears throat> um You've got a healthy Justin Moore, who's capable of being, the best player in any big East game as far as I'm concerned. And it's not like you brought in a bunch of highly productive mid majors. There's one mid major guy in there, but we're talking about guys that were at Washington state guys that were at Maryland guys that were playing a uh, high major competition last year and all five of their starters projected starters, we uh, were double-digit scorers last year, so I just think it's going to be like all of their guys outside of the starting, outside of Justin Moore, like between six seven and six eight. So it's going to be switchy, it's going to be fast, it's going to be lots of threes, it's going to be those things that 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 Virginia Villanova does, and I think, like I said, I think it's a really talented roster, and. I don't think Kyle Neptune's getting as much credit for some of the momentum that was created at the end of last season. That just fell short because the hole that they had dug themselves
1: was so mm-hmm. big. You don't have to sell me one bit on Villanova. I It, it leads to top 15 team for me. Probably top 10. I'm mm-hmm. right there with you. My Where I separate that and why I made the point about the other Big East teams is I'm not – absolutely, I can see a world in which they finish third. I'm just not super confident that they're actually on paper clearly better than those other three. They're sure. in the conversation. To me, this is about the Big East has four of the top 10, 12 teams in the country, and we're acting like they have three.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then it is Villanova is not getting properly placed in the Big East. Does that make sense? Sure. That's and, my- and,
0: and to be and to be clear, when I, I'm going to put out Big East power rankings and Villanova is going to be fourth, So this is this is not in this is not a I think they should be slotted in the three spot ahead of Mm -hmm. UConn or that they're going to finish second. I just think that the conversation seems to be top three in a lot of Biggie's conversations. And I think it's top four.
1: I'm right there with you. Yeah.
0: What is my fifth one's a doozy. What's your uh, (laughs) what's your number five?
1: Mine's kind of wild, too. This is my other bold one. Okay. San Diego State is not winning the Mountain West. Yeah, we got to get some mid-major attention. At the expense of who? Well, you got two choices. I mean, Boise State was in the ballpark last year. And I know New Mexico kind of went into a tailspin and crashed pretty spectacularly, but that's two awful good guards. These are three really, really good teams. I don't think San Diego State's going to be terrible or that they're going to completely underperform or underwhelm. I just, I look at their roster. I look at Boise state. I look at New Mexico. They did lose some pieces. It's not like they're just bringing back last season's team. They're bringing back parts of it, but that's also a team that struggled to score and lost some of its scoring. I just don't see the, the star power and the firepower that, To me, the best, I mean, three of the best five players in that conference probably at least don't play for San Diego State. They're going to probably have a first-team all-conference guy, maybe two, but even go look at the preseason predictions. It's not like they're, from a talent perspective, head and shoulders above everybody. So this is my kind of wild, let's just throw caution to the wind and have some fun and I'm very locked into this New Mexico team. I was last season as well, and then they started losing all over the place, and then I couldn't talk about them anymore. I hope they can right the ship this time and make this interesting.
0: Yeah, a, a team that finished 75th in offensive Kempom lost Matt Bradley.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, if you wanted to to sum it up in one sentence, that's there how you is. do
1: it. Yep.
0: And and then you you look at some of their conference wins, um, and some of them were were really you know you lose in New Mexico in a game you only score 67 points. Um, you lose in Nevada in a game you only score 66, Boise State 60. But then you look at some of their other wins, they beat Utah State 63-61, um, a good Utah State team. But, you know, they they won a game 45-43 last year. They beat Fresno State 45-43. That's a team that finished 11-20. and 20. So I think it, it's kind of, you know, the margin is just not – super it's just not super wide and i think they'll be very good not quite like i i think it's ridiculous that they were ranked ahead of north carolina like that's that's the ultimate for me this year the top 25 is just a who did we see play basketball most recently right and then we rank them like that because i just like when looking at it on paper i have no idea how people think that San Diego State is better than than North Carolina. Yeah, no they're a
1: border borderline top twenty five team. And I could say the same for Boise State and the same for New Mexico.
0: Sure. So I think I think it'll be close. I I, I certainly don't need any talking into that being a, a conversation that that when we get to February first, that who's gonna win that conference is up in the air. Are you ready for me to get incredibly unhinged with number five? Oh boy. Are you ready? This is going to be exciting.
1: Ready as I'll ever be.
0: Um, this is John Calipari's last season in Lexington. Mm. This 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 falls firmly in the I don't really believe this category. But here's the case. Um, Kentucky Kentucky hasn't been to the Sweet Sixteen since 2019. They haven't really had a team that was capable. That was that that was. That made me feel like they were going to get to the Sweet 16 since 2019, and maybe have it would they, have happened in 20.
1: Have they won a conference NCAA tournament game since 2019?
0: Yes, I think so. They they there was a second round exit in there oh, somewhere. Okay, um, but I'm also not positive about that. I feel like we I feel like I would have heard that buzz sentence in more places if he hadn't won a conference NCAA tournament game. But I think it's only like one. Um haven't been to the sweet 16 since 2019 um kentucky coaches generally don't get that much like like not going to the sweet 16 for half a decade is not is not what kentucky fans like so i think that the relationship between the two parties right now is a little is a little strained now i think whether or not there was a really big blue blood program looking to Put another coach in their in their head coaching seat would help this. I don't think anyone really jumps off the page other than Louisville and John Calipari is not going to go to Louisville.
1: <laughs> I mean, his assistant did.
0: I mean, I guess if it like if he did, that would that would be incredible. Like that would be unreal if John Calipari John Calipari I, went to Louisville. But
1: I'll um, say of the coaches on in the John Calipari stratosphere, mm-hmm. I would place him as the mo- person most likely to do that. I don't think it's going to happen, okay. but he doesn't mind playing the villain. That's all I'm saying.
0: Because I think Texas is is in on the Rodney Terry thing. You know, mm-hmm. that was kind of, we kind of flirted with that a little bit, but everywhere else, all the other blue blood programs, we aren't really in a spot of if that goes really far south, we're going to be looking for a new
1: coach, mm-hmm. right? Am
0: I missing one? I don't think there is.
1: Yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I mean, would... maybe
0: I mean, like maybe a place like Oregon, but Oregon is like it just doesn't feel like a Calipari school. Michigan, I also, I maybe also don't
1: Michigan feel like it's a Calipari uh, but, school. Yeah, I also don't think that job's open next year. I don't think so. Either. The the one was Texas,
0: right? And I I'm with I you. Michigan this. might be better than people think that they're going to be this year. Um, yeah. So that's that's part of this is that makes it less likely than it already is. But so so that's the the nature of the situation in Lexington right now is definitely not sunshine and roses. The other part of this is kind of what we've alluded to a little bit in the SEC, but there are like five teams not named Kentucky that I could talk myself into winning this conference. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't even include Florida, which I think is a sneaky like, Todd Golden, welcome to the party kind of team that they could kind of sneak themselves into at least, okay, that's a good team in the SEC conversation. I also just don't think... We we talk a lot about, you know, awesome. You have a bunch of freshmen. Do the freshmen fit in together? Great, you have so many transfers. Do the transfers kind of fit in together? And two of the guys that jump off the page when it comes to kentucky are rob dillingham and dj wagner and i'm not totally sure that those guys are capable of playing together and what i definitely know is that there's nobody on that roster the last thing you need with a bunch of freshmen is not having a guy to facilitate the ball and kentucky doesn't have a guy to facilitate the ball like it's it's Antonio Reeves in the backcourt alongside of them, so he's not going to do it. He's going to shoot the basketball. Um, Justin Edwards isn't. That's not how he's scouted either. So nobody really jumps off the. Is it just going to be a bunch of freshmen, kind of running around and playing? Here your turn. Here my turn. And you end up in a. Your fifth in the sec you're sixth in the sec and in our preview we talked about this idea of this is how calipari does it we've gone th- we did we did the transfer portal phase it didn't work we're firmly back in dominating the recruiting trail you know era shouts taylor swift um if it doesn't work and we're another year into no Sweet 16, another year into a team that doesn't feel like it can win the SEC, another year into strain between the two, uh, between the Lexington, you know, the Lexington-Kentucky fan base, the Kentucky Athletic Department, then maybe it's just like, yeah, I'm I'm kind of over it. And like I said, this falls very, very firmly into the, I don't really think John Kelpery is going to get fired after this year this also includes either a fire b mm-hmm. decide to go somewhere else so that's yep. the to make that clear i didn't say that kentucky is going to fire john calipari i said john calipari's last season in lexington and that can be achieved in a couple different ways so there's my there's my attempt to piss off or find some new fans in kentucky fans who might also be tired of john calipari and want a new era in lexington
1: they did beat Providence last season. I forgot about that.
0: Mm. There you go.
1: There's your NCAA tournament win. And then they lost to Kansas State. So you were spot on with the second round exit. W. Yeah, to me, this is more about John Cal Perry walking away than it is Kentucky firing John Cal Perry. I think you're right. But if this goes poorly, I would not be surprised at all if that happens. Now, that's a big if. And the other interesting part of this, and I was reading Kyle Tucker's piece in The Athletic this morning, and he basically made the case that in talking to people, some of the former assistants and stuff basically said he kind of stopped coaching and stopped the player development part of it. He lost all of his assistants Mm -hmm. who were really, really important to this people like Kenny Payne. And there's a whole list of them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And finally, now that he's restructured his coaching staff again, it feels more like Kentucky of pa- of the past when they had tremendous amounts of success. Sure. You combine that with a roster that feels much more like a, rock, a Kentucky roster of the past, and maybe this all works out. It does seem like there have been some intentional changes and in a recognition that this can't continue to go this way. Right. At the same time, I feel like you could have made the same argument last season, that at least from a schematic standpoint, and we talked about this consistently, things needed to change from year one with Sheeble to year two with Sheeble, and they did So, I'm not, this is why neither of us picked Kentucky to win the conference. They no longer get the benefit of the doubt of, oh, they're going to figure this out because they haven't consistently the past few seasons. But, I feel like if they're if we're gonna get back to Kentucky being what we expect under Cal Perry, that has to start this season. Not that they're gonna make the final four win the national championship, but you have to feel like this is going back in the right direction. Otherwise, I I would put it at 52%. If this if they lose, if they're a seven seed lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament or something like that that he walks away because I don't think he wants this to continue. And I don't feel like he feels obligated to continue unless this is working for everybody.
0: The, the combination of the two is why this is interesting to me because what do you do if this is a tough year to have all freshmen in the sec and in college hoops in general, Mm -hmm. in this Like there are just more because of the transfer rule. There are just more top teams with veteran talent than there used to be. It's just much harder to have to have freshmen that are so much more talented than insert veteran experienced college basketball team here that it really that you really have a leg up just because of your talent.
1: Or Duke, who's bringing back two potential All Americans right as sophomores
0: right yeah and you're bringing back antonio reeves good not great college basketball player and trey mitchell who is a who is a a should be a very and which is why i'm even kind of in on this team at all if trey mitchell wasn't here i'd be i'd be talking about kentucky missing the ncaa tournament that would be my bold prediction because until he went and found him, late, there were there were really big questions. Yeah, but the, transfer,
1: I mean, the transfer portal and roster construction did not go particularly well this summer.
0: No, the the, the top seven in her, their projected rotation, two of them have scored a basket in college basketball. It's just not that's almost never how it's worked, unless you happen to get Carl Anthony Towns on your team or Devin Booker on your team at the same time. Now, and I'm not and I'm not sure either of those guys are on this Kentucky team. Yeah.
1: Now the other interesting part of it is a lot of those teams were hyped as number preseason number 1 in the country, preseason number 3 whatever it was. And then they were good, not great, and so they were a disappointment. Right, if they ended up as a 3 seed. If this team is a 3 seed, it feels very different to our conversation earlier about North Carolina. Right, where look at what Cal did with all these freshmen in a year where the SEC is really good and really deep. And they got the, you know, if they get to the sweet 16, they give themselves a chance, lose close, a close game to, we'll just say Marquette, for example, in the elite eight or something like that. UCLA, whoever, I guess UCLA wouldn't be as great of an example because they've got a bunch of freshmen too, but you know, Marquette or Creighton or can whoever, you know, then it feels very different and you feel like, okay, there's at least something going in a positive direction here. And maybe some of these guys, one or two or three, these guys decide to stay for year two. And now all of a sudden you're in a position like Duke was this season where, oh my word, they have five-star recruits and potential national player of the year coming back after a really good freshman season. They brought another recruiting class in, they added this transfer and now all of a sudden Kentucky's really in business. So it's just a very interesting you know what is good enough with this team that nobody's looking at going? That's the best team in the country on paper.
0: Hmm. The thing about the thing about Kentucky, I think, is usually the guys that can, that Calipari gravitates towards in recruiting, they're either guys that so obviously have to go to the NBA, or you're just not that impressed by in general. And so they don't like very rarely do they have a guy like Kyle Filipowski mm-hmm. that was really good last year. Yep but he doesn't exactly fit into a archetype that is sought after at the nba level cuz that's
1: why he's back and I, I think he i'm curious to see how this goes for him this season because he can do some it's not like he is a unskilled unathletic big no but he is he is not a prototypical right 6-8 wing 3d three, 3 level scorer kind of guy
0: right it's the same reason why Luca Garza played It was a back to back. It was a back to back. Yeah, but he's such
1: year. a he's such a better athlete than Garza.
0: Sure, but he's not the archetype that. I mean, if he was, he wouldn't be here.
1: Right. He. You can't look at it, and it's almost the Web and Yama thing of just what exactly. And I'm not trying to compare it to, but what exactly does he? Right. He's not a rim protector. He's not a sharpshooter. He just does a lot of things well and presents matchup problems because he's so tall and can handle the ball and can pass and can shoot and do all these things. But you, but you're right. It's not a, Oh, we've got ourselves a rim protector. We've got, I, I guess. And that's what Webin Yama is doing is that man. is just a incredible headache when you're trying to shoot the ball. Philipowski's not that guy, right? There isn't that one thing to point to go. This is how he translates. I still think there's a, I'm very optimistic about his NBA feature. I'll say that.
0: The point just being is that like Cal Filipowski was light years better than Chris Livingston last year. Chris Livingston got drafted in the NBA draft, Mm -hmm. and Cal Filipowski is playing college basketball Right,
1: And that's also part of Cal being so focused on NBA development, right, is that's just kind of understood. If you can go, you go. Right. So that's a fair point, that maybe this team, it doesn't matter how it goes, most of these guys are gone. There's just – I could see a world in which – sixth and seventh guys want a chance to be the stars. And all of a sudden you can, and you have a good season. Maybe there's a way that this really turns around quickly for Kentucky, but that's a Mm -hmm. big if.
0: That's my last one.
1: Going out with a bang. There you go. You got anything else? I'm going to need your Columbus crew to take care of business here. I have them winning MLS cup. Just wanted you to know that. Sure.
0: You know how many seconds of Columbus crew action I've watched this year?
1: Zero. That's correct.
0: So I'm I'm locked in clearly I'm locked in I'll, I'll see what the issue is but okay I'll 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 talk to him I'll talk to him I think that's a good pick though having knowing absolutely nothing I think that's a really great pick there
1: you go it's all I got
0: the Nuggets won a title too you know that was the whole thing yep. right I want the Denver Nuggets of of the MLS yep. you gave me the crew and the crew won a title yep. and now the Nuggets won a title so it's all good it's all yep. gravy at this point all right. That's all I have for you today. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days pod. And uh, we'll be back in a couple days with uh, with preseason awards, first team All-Americans, that kind of thing. So we will see you then. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh, he's Josh, and we will see you later.